Welcome to the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Speaking of USA, oh boy, well, that virus that we weren't sure how it would take a hold of our sport, boy, have we gotten a definitive answer on that. Since last week's show, Whew. a lot of your questions are related to the COVID-19, the coronavirus, so we're going to get into those in just a moment. A couple of quick notes of interest. We've just had a six-county-wide, you could call it shelter-in-place. It's really pretty darn close to a shutdown. So our schedule in the coming weeks through April 7th be rather different. So I'm hoping, hoping to be able to get to more podcast production. Taking a look, curious how many we might have to post to keep folks entertained for who knows how long. Got up to about 130 sitting on my hard drive and stopped counting. So lots to do, hopefully lots to entertain. Some will suck. The numbers just say some are going to suck, but I'm hoping the majority you will enjoy. Got a fun text on Sunday from IndyCar president Jay Fry with the St. Petersburg Grand Prix being canceled, yet the airtime being in place on NBCSN. They went and aired the 2019 race where, in one of the running jokes between Jay and I, the LED panels on the cars were working. <laughs> ah, so that was a great thing. And looking through uh, the variety of texts that have come in of late, uh, yeah, can just say that I absolutely loved the fact that Jay took a moment to uh, send a little note and say, uh, thank goodness for the re-air of St. Pete today includes the LED lights, which work. And a little laughing and crying emoji. So, Jay has a good sense of humor for the blinky, faulty, sparky, get them off the car LED panels that, boy, too much, too much fun there. Spent the better part of Sunday and Monday calling a lot of people. So you'll see a series, possibly before you hear this, land on Racer. I don't know what it's going to be called. Uh, Just informally, we're calling it Virus Diaries. So I've called around to a lot of teams so far, and will continue to do so. Big, small, in-between vendors, those who support the paddock as independent contractors, to get a feel how they are dealing with the impact of this virus what they're doing with employees, also the financial side. What can you do to survive? How long can you survive? So a series that, frankly, never wanted to do, but in the absence of motor racing, and with this being the number one topic, that'll be coming to Racer here, possibly as soon as Tuesday. Last final note that jumps out, so with the Week in IndyCar format, that being listener Q&A, both for this show and the guest episodes, plus my weekend sports car show. Hard to say how long we're going to stick with that week in slash 
listener-driven content, because if we don't have races and we don't have enough new things happening to draw your questions, I'm probably just going to go to a shorter format. Might be having more guests to talk about who knows. Probably a lot of fun stuff from the past. Approaches, skills, talents, thoughts, opinions, whatever it is. Some of those might be Q&A driven. I might put out a quick call for Q&A, but doing hour, two hour, however long it is, Q&A in the absence of new things happening. Uh, I know we're obviously doing this week's. and We have Michael Shank on as our guest coming up here. Probably late Tuesday or Wednesday we will record. Uh, but after that, maybe again next week, I'll put out the call. I'll see what the volume of questions happens to be, but we're just going to have to, like many others in our beloved sport, just roll with these changes. So not sure what the week in IndyCar guest and listener Q&A formats are going to evolve into while we are down, but I'm going to keep cranking this stuff out. It might even be named the weekend. You might be getting a couple of those per week. We'll just have to, uh, to play it by ear. One final note, as always, thank you to torontomotorsports.com. Giving away a gift each week, we look back at whose questions submitted on the MP Podcast Facebook page for the previous week's guest, got the most likes, and that happens to be, this time around, our pal Jordan Darwin, who I'm confident you've won once or twice before in previous years, Jordan. Well, your question to Mark Miles, our guest last week, IndyCar CEO, of what is the management change done for day-to-day track series and business, employee morale, and other internal factors. That got the most likes. should also mention our cat Rocky has just jumped up, as he always does when recording starts. He hasn't stuck his backside in my face yet, but we have hope. Nonetheless, Jordan, send me a direct message with your email address, and we will get you connected with torontomotorsports.com. And they will send you a Week in IndyCar t-shirt and some stickers and who knows what else. So that's about all I have for you right now. And we're going to get rolling with your questions. We're going to kick things off with Reed Ruthenberg. Reed says, Marshall, do you honestly think the IndyCar season will actually happen at this point? And how many teams do you think might die with all this coronavirus stuff going on? Well, let's start with the last question first, Reed. Fears, true fears. Who might not answer the bell? We know that they're not on the grid for the opening race or races of the year. That was never in their plan, but Hunkos Racing jumps out as, I would say, the most in jeopardy, knowing that they'd hoped to put something together for the Indy 500 They've had to sell their IMSA Cadillac DPI. I don't know if that's been sold. I know it's been up for sale. They've had no takers so far for their Indy Lights program, one that was very successful last year, finishing runner-up with Ed Carpenter Racing's Renus VK. Ricky is someone who I, I am I'm fearful of what might happen there. Business was already extremely bad before the coronavirus hit. What might this do if we end up missing the month of May and Indy gets rescheduled? Boy, uh, that's my first thought. 
Other quick thoughts, and I'm not saying that any of this has merit, meaning I've heard it and I know it to be a case. Just saying, thinking about the way some things could pan out. We have a situation at AJ Foyt Racing, where in the number 14 car, Dalton Kellett, and his family sponsorship, their business, very successful business in Canada. It's the financial engine behind that entry. Tony Kanan obviously brings money from his sponsors to do the five oval races, but the rest that were on the calendar, the remaining 12, well, Dalton was supposed to be in for the majority. Some of that funding was going to cover Sebastian Bourdais, really helping to get the entry on track and set up and quick for Dalton to then climb into and take over. I have to hope that this economy change does not impact the Kellets in a negative way. I have to hope that his willingness and desire to go do this hasn't changed. If knowing he might miss a, even more races, if the team does indeed want to try and fit Sebastian in, in some sort of shortened season, uh, it's those kinds of things where locked in place we were going forward. Now that we could have some family-run businesses, the things needed to fund the season that is now paused, could some developments there cause real problems? Uh, know that from a sponsorship side, there should be, I don't foresee a lot of real changes or issues there among teams. Those are going to have to be some pretty strong conversations. If there are any new significant sponsors in place, Reed, those might be the areas where those teams might be a little unsure if that sponsor is going to want to stick around uh, through adversity here. But knowing that the vast majority of sponsors have been here for a little while, uh, I think they, they might grasp or understand the need to buckle in. As for the season getting going again, I do, but that's based on not being a scientist, doctor, or otherwise. If projections of being able to get over this hump are accurate, and we think that sometime, I know that May is the date we're holding on to, good lord, please let the Indy 500 happen as planned, I know that's a huge, huge goal. Would just say that I interpreted the we're not going to race in March or April edict from IndyCar as being the first realistic time frame to offer. Not something where they had insight from the Center for Disease Control or otherwise that says, based on our projections on May 1st, everything's going to be great. Uh, would say this is the first realistic window to offer to say we're going to stop for this period, knowing that for us specifically, the month of May is hallowed ground. And so I would not have expected IndyCar to have said from the outset, yeah, we're done March, April, and May. They're going to hold out for that as long as they can. I would just say don't mistake them saying we're wiping the, the slate clean in March and April as an indicator that the virus is going to be gone by May or the need to practice social distancing and so on and so forth. 
Uh, I'm not convinced that we're going to be all good by May, I hope, as I think you do as well. But I'm not sure. So I would say if we were to learn, pick the month August, July, September, something that we can get something in. Um, that's where my my mindset is right now. June would be great, but it feels to me like we're going to need more than the next six weeks for things to get resolved. But whenever those factors change, I do absolutely expect IndyCar to get running again because we have to, because the financial structure of those teams requires being on track. If we don't go racing this year, unless Roger Penske makes bridge loans in the name of millions upon millions of dollars to the paddock, we will not have an IndyCar series next year. So IndyCar knows this. IndyCar recognizes what must happen. The moment the the air quote, I'm just going to call it a ban, the, the life ban lifts, Due to the coronavirus, IndyCar will be back in motion because they have to. Bryson Frank, you're up next. Marshall, it's probably way too early to know, but what are the long-term financial implications of these cancellations on teams, the tracks, and the series itself? Oh, Bryson. Yeah. So this is the scary part. And for those who are listening for the first time, we'll share that we usually open my listener Q&A show with a couple of bigger topics that we delve into somewhat deep manner and then pick up the pace from there. Obviously, coronavirus is going to be something that we sit here and park on for a little bit. Also should mention that I refer to this show specifically as my unpolished turd because I keep all the mistakes and errors, and I make many. So I hope you enjoy that part too. Uh, Bryson, this is the reality that for those of us inside the sport, this is the reality we are currently trying to process. What is the impact going to be if we go beyond April, May? Uh, So I can tell you that well before the coronavirus, my wife and I have been on, you know, the strictest of budgets because we have a lot of other bills to pay. That's been in place for a long time. So that's great. But there's absolute fear that for independent contractors like myself, small business owners like myself, before we get to the teams, I'll get to that in a moment. It's the caterers. It's the PR shops, right? There are small PR shops that look after a couple of teams here, other one, a couple teams there that do video, handle social media. There are the people who supply, name the variety of things, nuts and bolts, just fasteners in general, lubricants, the folks that sell and service the air guns used to change the wheels. You can look at the one of our partners, Bell Racing Helmets USA, located in Speedway, Indiana. What do they do to earn money to be in business? Well, they sell things, those consumable items, whether it's helmets or visors. Just name a lot of safety and protective items. They sell those because those get used when people start racing or get consumed 
during a season, well, man, you turn off the season and the Saturday night circle track racing and go-karting and all these things aren't happening. What do you do when you've got a staff of three or four? Maybe it's a, a limited staff, but still, what? how many of those folks can you send home for a month, a month and a half, and have them still be able to pay their bills? Is that company, and I'm not saying this because I know anything, it could be a Simpson, it could be a name, a variety of others, but it's all the small support systems that make racing happen. Race control, right? There, a lot of those folks up there have full-time jobs, regular jobs. This is something they do on the side. They love it. It's passion-based, but it's extra income. Well, you take away that extra income, maybe those folks have to go find another job. And who knows if they can just readily leave that job once the racing season starts again. Pit lane officials, same exact thing. Folks in tech, handling the tech of the cars and such. You know, There's a lot of people who are part-time, contract-only, uh, call it gig economy type work. You fly in for the race, you do the thing for the people, they give you the money, you go back home, you come back to the next one. Sometimes that work is lucrative enough to be your primary income. You turn off motor racing, most, most teams, most vendors, most whatever don't pay folks for not working. There's some that are really cool that say, hey, we'll, we'll take care of you for as long as we can. But uh, that's, that's the real concern here, Bryson, on maybe the lowest level. You start stepping that up to the tracks. I've heard from local WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Yeah, forget the racing events that have been canceled. Those are a, a relatively, I don't want to say minor, but... You know, that that's just one part of what they do at that facility. They have cycling events and beer fests and this is and that's all kinds of things that supplement their annual income gone over the next couple of months, if not longer. I've heard the same thing from Portland. They've just lost one of their biggest events simply gone because of the non gathering, non everything reaction that has been put down by so many cities states, you name it, you step up even further and you say, well, what about the teams? Well, again, for the full-time employees, a lot of teams do have, you know, mostly full-time employees. But, you know, if you think about AJ Foyt Racing, Larry Foyt, someone that I spoke with today, which might make you all happy to hear. Larry and I had a really nice conversation and no, nothing bad was said whatsoever. Um, you know, he said that they have about 40, 40 full-time employees. And for the races themselves, when it's time to go racing, uh, that number jumps up to about 50. So they add 10 part-time contract, however you want to call it, folks. Well, you know, I, I'm feeling confident for the 40 right now, depending how long things last with this ban on life those other 10 right and so you start looking at all the other teams the big goliath teams the penskis and andretti's vast majority are straight employees but the whole midfield in you know trailing edge of the paddock there's 
there's a lot of that ratio, you know, a, a 40 employees versus or plus 10 additional contract and fly in might be 30 at another team with eight that fly in our contract. It's, you know, and you take those 10 away or eight or whatever, and that team starts to struggle and getting those folks back. It's no longer a guarantee. That's another thing to add, Bryson, is we collectively love racing for those who work in it. You have to. If you don't, if you just view it as a job, you're not going to last very long. There's also a bit of a, a agreement with ourselves that unless you're a driver, maybe a team owner, if you're doing thing, things well, you know, you're not going to earn a crazy amount of money, but you get to work in the thing that's your passion. So that's the reward. But there's often that lingering thing of, man, if the economy tanks, if, you know, my team owner gets arrested, uh, if we learn about a Ponzi scheme or <laughs> payday loan scheme or something, boy, uh, it's so easy for me to be out of work and there aren't an excess of teams and racing that are hiring and the skills that I have don't instantly transfer in so many cases to real world jobs. That's the thing that I found at the end of the 2001 IRL season when I air quote retired, been a mechanic engineer, team manager, assistant engineer, all kinds of things in mostly an open wheel, but also sports cars. And at the end of the 2001 IRL season with Sam Schmidt, Sam Schmidt Motorsports, where I was an assistant engineer, I said, cool, done this for about 15 years. I'm 31-ish years old. I'm tired of having to wonder where my income's going to land next year. Uh... We had a dinner Saturday night at the Chevy 500 in Texas. A thank you for everything dinner put on by the team owner. We were all told during that dinner, thanks, amazing first year for us and so on and so forth. And you guys are all good. We're coming back. Y'all are going to come back for next year and we're going to go do even better. Great. Everyone exhales. We've just been told by the boss. We've got jobs next year. And two or three weeks later, whatever the exact timeline was, I don't even remember the method. It might have been a phone call. It might have been an email. Uh, delete what you heard during that dinner because it ain't happening. And you, you all don't have jobs next year. And I, I think you know a couple people were retained, but there was just went in a totally different direction. Okay, great. And that's their prerogative. I, at that point, though, said, enough. I want stability. And so decided I'm going to go try and find a 9 to 5 and learn that what my race engineering experience and mechanical experience, I found a job in biotech as a purification engineer. Uh, it's a, if you don't know anything about it, uh, I won't bore you to tears with it here. But it was working with a lot of fluid systems and procedures and all kinds of engineering type stuff. It wasn't too unfamiliar, frankly, from running a race car on a weekend of lots of planning, lots of very detailed technical work 
and a lot of procedures that were required precision. By coincidence, I had a temp job working at the place where I got a job. I think I was doing like document creation or some like random thing that would pay the bills. Nothing more than that as a temp because I couldn't find anything from my experience in racing other than going and working on streetcars, which I'd done and didn't want to do anymore. And by chance, got to know one of the guys, one of the managers there while I was there for, I think, a two or three week assignment. He used to, he was a ex-Navy man, used to be uh, work on a, work in a part of a crew in a submarine, a nuclear submarine. I was fascinated by them. So I asked him a lot of questions and we just got to talking and I told him a little bit about my background. And truly, I was just talking with a guy who did a thing that fascinated me and I was just expecting to leave that temp assignment and go on to some other random thing that paid 10 or 12 bucks an hour and to scrape by. And after hearing that I had some aptitude in things, he realized aligned with the purification process in manufacturing drugs. Uh, he said to me, hey, I know your temp thing is coming up here. Do you actually want a job? To which I said, holy crap, for real? And I don't know, I think I was making like 30 grand a year, 32 grand, something right out of the gate. It wasn't, it really was not much. Uh, I, yeah, it was multiples less than what I was making in racing, but I wanted to get out of racing. So I guess what I'm getting at here, Bryson, is the folks, whether they are working on the cars, they're servicing and doing support, they're hospitality folks, they're chefs, they're security at the track. You know, a lot of these folks can probably find other work to supplement their incomes, but getting them back is going to be hard. And for some of those in our sport who work for teams or are contract players for teams, spotters, for example, a friend of mine who's shuffled his whole year around being a spotter at the Indy 500 for somebody and has turned down jobs and accepted others at other times of the year all to gear towards being on-site and free for a little over two weeks during the month of May. Now he isn't exactly sure if he's going to have that income and isn't sure if all the other things he turned down, there's no way to get him back. So, again... So, but what does a veteran mechanic, gearbox mechanic, uh, race engineer, where do they go if motor racing is turned off? I was lucky, truly lucky, Bryson, that I met a guy who fascinated me and in his own mind added up, oh, the things this idiot's telling me about, actually, we could use them in this clean room where I dressed up in one of the, I guess you'd call the Breaking Bad hazmat suits. I dressed up in the white bunny suits, fully masked up and, you know, quadruple wash and cleanse and everything looking like we're going into surgery. Uh, That's what I did every day for a couple, three years. Uh, the last place I worked used to be owned by Don Panos, coincidentally. Um, but I did that for, shoot, four or five years um, and was doing racing on the side and was using my vacation days to go 
you know, manage and engineer world challenge cars and pro Mazdas and Indy lights cars and whatever. And trying to do some reporting while I was there as well, trying to see if I could do that. And well, here you go. You got me now, but you know, a lot of these, at least my life after growing tired of financial insecurity in motor racing led to a bunch of happy coincidences that have me here today. Just throw out that on the team side, I don't think we're going to see any, if many, on the IndyCar front really go away. But I think if this extends Bryson into summer, we are not going to recognize the teams and many other aspects of our sport when we do get back to motor racing. Because the truck driver for Team X in the paddock, hey, you know, we can get truck drivers. There are a lot of truck drivers available. Might not have racing experience, but we can get truck drivers. Well, that truck driver is probably going to go. Uh, hey, you know, we've been, we've been happy to carry an extra mechanic or two, but we're going to have to let you guys go. Um, the variety of folks that I mentioned, hey, if your job, if you've been hired to write press releases about here's a preview for St. Pete and here's a qualifying report and a race report. And here's a set. And all of a sudden you don't have stuff to write. How many of those PR reps are going to have jobs three, four months from now? It's just this ripple effect that even on the media side, you know, I'm not going to get into things too deeply here, but not a big surprise that there have been advertising cancellations deals that were in the works truly just needing a signature for it to be done backing out um yes uh sleepless my friends there have been many sleepless nights by small business owners like myself where i am employee one of one to some that have five or ten or twenty um, right now, there are a lot of folks looking down the tunnel, wondering if they're going to make it out the other end, and if so, what they're going to look like. All right, going to get to one more significant item up front here, and then we're going to mash the throttle. This comes from Jamie Carr. It says, what can the average fan do to support the teams during this hiatus? It says, since IMSA and IndyCar and NASCAR have canceled or postponed races, your thoughts about triple header weekends once racing resumes to make up for missed races. Which tracks would you choose? I love the idea, Jamie. Let's get them all. Like, seriously. Hey, it is going to be the 48 hours of Red Bull because we're going to need an energy drink sponsor or monster energy drink or whatever is the correct one, I should say. And it's just just going to be a six-hour IMSA race, then a two-hour IndyCar. NASCAR is going to pound around for a day or however long those things take. Then we're going to do another IMSA 12 hours. IndyCar is going to do a 500-miler. Uh, do we got MotoGP? We should throw that in somewhere, right? Or at Superbikes? I don't know. Um, monster trucks. Let's just have it. So it's going to be, we're going to start at midnight Saturday morning, and we're going to finish 1159 Sunday night, and all of a sudden, at the end of the weekend, at le- these seers are going to be able to say, we've just held seven races apiece, or whatever it is. We'll just keep fitting them in. Um, I love that idea, man. 
the question that you had here that I wanted to save to really kind of close this topic a little bit. And we have a few more, don't get me wrong, but the kind of the major ones that I thought that might be interesting to delve into. Your topic, your question of support, Jamie, that's a mindset that if I can urge all of you to adopt, if you have not already, we need to start thinking of this sport that we love that brings us together as preservationists. We need to think of ourselves as something that could be facing, to use bad 1990s apocalypse movie phrasing, an extinction-level event. I don't feel like I am overstating things and being alarmist. We very well could be facing extinction-level occurrences. Not to the sport as a whole. I don't think to any series, one series is going to go away. I don't think those things are going to happen. But I do think that enough changes could very well be happening if we collectively do not step in and intercede. So what does that mean? Well, need to state up front, and you might have noticed this in my writing, I really do not like telling people what to do with their money. Driven by a very selfish thing, I hate people telling me what to do with mine. Some of you might be the same way. And so I try and apply that to what I write, what I suggest. Oh, you need to go out and buy this, pay for this. Oh, just spend the money here and do that. That'll solve the problem. I try not to be that guy. So that's why this is a little bit uncomfortable because the answer to your question, at least half of the question, Jamie, is as preservationists who want this sport and the things we love about it, not just IndyCar, just we all, many of us love multiple forms of racing. We need to look at those series, look at those teams, look at these support mechanisms and see what we can do to help. And by help, I mean reach into your pocket. So I'll mention this, and it's not meant to be a a ill-fitting plug, torontomotorsports.com. They are great people. We love them. They make our T-shirts and stickers, and and I know plenty of you have them or buy them or have supported them. Please keep doing that. They have a competitor, Styled Athletic. I own nothing from them. I know nobody there. I have no connection to them. If anything, they are the direct competitor of our partners at torontomotorsports.com. And I would hope you would spend money with them as well because my mindset isn't one where I want folks to jump and get behind one brand of whatever it is to maybe knock off the competition. I want everyone to survive. I want Styled Athletic to still be in existence. Uh, Cooper Tires, we know they're the first and biggest partner of our show to start. We've added the Justice Brothers. I'll get to them in a moment. Cooper Tires, if you can, buy them. And you know what? You know who doesn't sponsor the show? 
Firestone. You know what? If you got something where Firestones fit, please consider them. If you have something where Michelin, the official tire supplier of IMSA, fits your application, please. If you are, if you're a SRO World Challenge fan, and Pirelli is the one for you. Or if you're a NASCAR fan and it's Goodyear, I know that I love and we love everything you do to support this show's partners. But I'm just saying, we're not in a place where we can be tribal. We're not in a place where we can afford a Firestone, a Michelin, and anyone else from wanting to get away as soon as they can. I'm sure they all have multi-year contracts. I'm not saying they're going to leave as a result of this. But we don't want to give them any reason to believe that being here is something to question and possibly change their mind at their earliest convenience. If you are a Chevy fan, please support Chevy. Same with Honda. And I'll run down the list of any other automotive brand. Not saying to go out and buy cars, but what is that thing? Is there an accessory? If you're going to get your oil changed... Is there an option at the dealership? If it costs a few do- few more dollars, okay. Compared to the Speedy Lube joint, just trying to think out loud here. Those that support us, those that make racing possible, if you can, with your wallet, vote. Let them know, and when you do it, let them know. Hey, I'm buying the thing from you because you help make the thing I love possible, and I don't ever want it to go away. I'll just add a few more layers to this, Jamie. Photographers. We have some of the best shooters on the planet in IndyCar and IMSA. Many of them are somewhat well-known on social media. Many of them have the ability to sell their work. Some don't. Some by contract or some by credentialing are not allowed to sell. They can only provide them to their clients. But there are some where you can indeed buy stuff. Please buy it. They're not at the track shooting because there's nothing to shoot. Um, And if you're looking for some suggestions, send me a note. Uh, I like to think as a photographer, it's probably a lower tier among those well-known folks, and those folks are really good. I can give you plenty of names to consider. I, I don't know if they each individual has a sales mechanism, but I can at least give you some names to look at. Memorabilia, right? Toronto Motorsports, love them. Well, guess what? I love the Motorsport Collector as well. In Greater Chicago, Paul Zimmerman, one of just a beautiful human being who has supported us for so long. Ralph Hibbard is another pal who sells racing memorabilia. If it's a book, a Blu-ray, a whatever, a model, I would hate to hear that because things slowed down for a couple months, some of these wonderful institutions that feed our passions away from the racetrack. I mean, getting a book showing up or whatever else, ah, it's a beautiful thing. You know, they can very easily disappear. They're probably the most among the most at risk. So 
that's another thing. Uh, might sound silly, but you know the folks that do hospitality and catering. Can they pick up work doing other gigs? I hope so. Although gigs in general, hey, it's a big giant wedding with a thousand people. No, it's not. Sorry, not getting what married right now. I don't know. Are these folks who, if you're looking for a chef to do a nice in-home meal or prepare something, leave it at your doorstep, spray the the containers with Lysol, and then run away? Again, I don't know. But these are the things that just come to mind of like, wow, so many of us in the sport could really and truly stop having the thing that we do that you might like beforehand. Um I'll say this, and it's again, it's not meant to be a plug. It's meant to be a, a real insight. So, Racer Magazine, print and digital, a pride and joy of mine that I contribute to. We also have Racer.com. The advertisers that pay for traffic, man, traffic starts to wind down with us. Name the other outlets Motorsport.com. Uh, again, I'm sure you all have a number that come to mind right now. They need your traffic. If it's a magazine, whether it's a client, my client, longtime client, Road and Track, or Car and Driver, or, 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 we've already seen a number of mag- auto magazines shut down. We've seen almost every racing magazine die racer is almost on an island when it comes to u.s racing magazines it too can disappear quickly if folks aren't consuming and i'll again whatever other auto or racing magazines you might like whether they're u.s england wherever man if you can afford it and it will not stress your home your life this is a time where spending money to make sure that the things you like have a better chance of surviving than not this is the time i'll throw out one quick hashtag me personally example and then move on so my wife and i as you may know we go to a specialized physical therapy uh i don't know what to call it gym uh, place I don't know, but it is geared for the exact type of physical rehab we have to do. We could not, and the trainers there are a hundred percent specialized in the very specific things we need to improve and overcome. We would not get this at a twenty-four hour fitness. Uh, any th- name any of them planet fit none of them so there there's this one place in the bay area it's a bit of a drive but nonetheless there's one place in the bay area that we have to go to there might be one other place i've heard of but i just know that reputationally this place is amazing even sam schmidt when we were calling looking for some suggestions said this is the place to go They've just had to cancel all sessions due to this new Bay Area uh, shelter-in-place thing through April 7. So we pay a flat rate there. It is <laughs> it is not insignificant 
I'm not going to get into dollars and cents, but I can tell you that there were times in my motor racing career where I made less per month than what this costs us per month. None of that is said in any kind of negative way. Just trying to state the fact that, man, this is not something that most people, you wouldn't even want to think about having to cover these expenses. That place is, pardon my French, so damn valuable, invaluable for us. We're only halfway through this month of March. I'm going to tell them in the morning, because we just got the notice that everything's wiped out for the next however many weeks. My note to them in the morning is going to be, please bill us for the full month. It, I would love to have that savings. I would love to not spend that money. But looking at the potential of that business crumbling... Its value to us and what it brings to us and the improvements that come as a result of going there two hours per session, three times a week, we can't get that anywhere else. I need them to be there. So this isn't gifting them anything. It's just treating like nothing different is happening because I, I need them to have that money. I hope more, all of their clients say the same thing. You guys are so important to us. We can't let this virus turn your finances upside down and give us nowhere to go. It's kind of where I'm here with this, Jamie. Uh, whatever it is, if it's buying a hat, if it's going to the team's whatever swag shop, if it's, you know, whatever, um, that would be my recommendation. Now, this next thing might be a little bit dickish to say, and it certainly doesn't apply to every driver, but you know, being a uh, Simon Pagano is a dear, dear old friend. He doesn't need you to buy a hat. He doesn't need you to buy a shirt. It's not going to change his life whatsoever. It probably helped the vendor who made those. But if we're talking about what are the things we can do that's going to have the greatest impact on our beloved IndyCar series and IMSA and, and otherwise to keep things afloat, you guys probably have a pretty good feel. Who's getting paid? Who's making money? Who has family money? Who's paying for stuff? Or whose dad or mom works for company X that's paying for Paying for the whole thing, got it. Just saying, uh, the companies that support racing, social media, hit them up all you can. And no, and I'm serious. Just some really obvious upfront. Pick the team. Sirius XM, we love you and all you do in IndyCar to support Jack Harvey, Napa Auto Parts. Just want to say thank you for making Alexander Rossi's drive possible hey pick whatever it is on whatever team you i was going to say you could uh send notes to sonax and say thank you for sponsoring renus vk's car but granted tony george is the u.s distributor for that as i learned from my pal jaron but um run down the list of the sponsors verizon thank you 
look, I hate Verizon. I've told you all, I hate Verizon. They dicked my wife and I over like you wouldn't believe. Regardless, Verizon, in this instance, during this virus shutdown, this ban on life, I love you. You're the best. Just keep spending that money. Hitachi, PNC Bank, I've never, ever banked with you. And I probably never will, but dang it. Thank you for sponsoring Scott Dix and Husky Chocolates. I, I'm still not sure it's a real thing. I'm told it is. I'm told it's a chocolate milk drink. All right, if you say so. Hey, you're supporting Marcus Erickson. That's great. NTT data. And again, pick the variety of sponsors for the teams that you like. And don't be afraid to set yourself a reminder once a week to send them a note on the tweeters or the Instagrams or the book faces or wherever that just says, hey, truly thank you. Uh, positivity and encouragement and the you're a friend to us, so we're a friend to you and we want to keep telling you that. That's the stuff that costs nothing. Please keep doing that, friends. If you haven't already, please start doing that. Uh, if you agree with anything that I'm saying, uh, this is a time where fear is driving way too much of everybody's days. And I don't mean just fans. I mean folks, the CEO, CFO of whatever, CMO of seemingly every company. If not, they're worried about business, then they're worried about the kids getting sick at home and the dog and the whatever else. Do that thing if you can. Be that positive light. So... There's that. And if you can spend, if you can buy a subscription, if there's a quart or two of motor oil you can buy that supports a certain t- brand that's on a certain car, if it's tires, if it's fuel, again, I'm just saying, please do if you can, but most importantly, be vocal about it. Not to the... No disrespect to the attendant at the gas station when you go to Speedway to fuel up. Of course, say to them, hey, thanks. Greatly appreciate you guys being a part of the NTT IndyCar series. We're, we're, we're social creatures, social media creatures. Take a photo of you filling up with the Speedway sign close. Tweet that to Speedway. Verizon, if you're in that store and you're going to buy something or you're driving by, whatever just saying whatever it is that you love if you can spend some money to support it please do but make that connection i've bought some pennzoil thank you pennzoil social media bam um these things do register and these things are tracked so it's kind of crazy right we're in this weird position where We need to support the thing that we love out of fear it might go away. Mm. All right. Going to get rolling here. Stuart Arith. Hey, Stuart. Says, with the cancellation of races, how does this work for sponsors? Will they still have to pay regardless? Will they just get rolled over to another race later in the year? He also wonders how it might impact smaller teams, partial season teams like Dragon Speed. Says, that awesome Flexbox livery. Could the whole cancellation of the first four races uh, up to now put any teams at risk? So we covered that last part. But there, of course, are concerns about sponsors. That's the valuation question, Stuart. 
We ask these sponsors, please believe that what we do is important. You're going to get good ratings. You're going to be put in front of people. Hey, by the way, you're going to get zero ratings and zero people for at least the first four races of the year. This is where strength of relationships is really going to be proven out. Uh, When I was speaking with Larry Foyt today, I said, hey, how are you going to deal with this? Because you're now in a very different situation than you've been for a long time. If this was ABC Supply, which was with you for 15 years, I said, I'm sure that's a direct call from you to the CEO to say, hey, just want to let you know, just got the news, going to be cancellations and postponement. We're not racing a minimum till May. <sighs> what can we do? What can we do to give you value, to make you happy? Can we do extra appearances? Can we do what? Tell us. How do we live up to this? How do we make good? Because we can't afford to give the money back or else we go under well abc supply is no longer there so it's the sponsors that tony canon has brought it's speaking with the kellett family it's having to figure out what they need what value they find work down some of the other sponsors that i mentioned dhl Gainbridge, up and down uh, all the various sponsors that are involved in the series gallagher insurance i mean on and on and on it's just honestly Stuart. i think it's going to be the strength of relationships with teams and their sponsors to find a middle ground where survival of the team is paramount i think a lot of sponsors are going to have to take a knee here They're going to have to pause and turn off their expectations for return on investment. Of course, some things can be done. Super crazy uptick in social media. And our drivers are going to be doing stuff constantly and filming stuff. And boy, we're just going to flood your social media feeds to try and give you value. All while they're wearing your t-shirt with your brand and saying your company's name 50 times. And we can do all that. We can do esports and replicate some things but again the, none of these items are what sponsors paid for or paying drivers forked out the money to get so there's gonna have to be a bit of a taking a knee and riding with us and we'll try and make you good by the end of the year but i'm not sure we're gonna get you all the way so each contract is going to be different Stuart. There's no single answer for this. Part of this process, this connecting with sponsors and and finding happy middle ground, that's an area that I am going to be trying to track and trying to get more answers on as these conversations take place. They fascinate me. Uh, So it's a little bit of a wait and see. Go to Joseki one hundred. Hey Joseki, thank you seriously for always taking time to send in a question each week. Says I'm writing this question at ten thirty p.m. March sixteenth, Italy time. He says COVID nineteen spread so fast that by the time this episode is recorded, this question may even be outdated or already answered. He says another question still related to this virus delay. Says the smaller teams are now fully focused on surviving lack of racing. But what is the program for the richest teams? It's a great question. More simulator time, switching focus to the Indy 500 prep, or do they too slow down? He says, best wishes to you and your wife from an Italian listener. Well, thank you. Thank you and thank you. 
I'll give you a little sidebar here. So my wife was stressing a little bit about cleaning products, disinfecting products, all the things that we've seen that have you know been wiped out off all the shelves and thinking, well, we need to get more. And with what we've had going on at home for a while now, things like that, you know, she does most of the ordering, which is great, but I handle most of the putting away or stockpiling or stashing here or there. And so she hasn't had a full grasp of what our stockpile looks like. <laughs> so keep in mind that we moved at the end of September. We had all, as I mentioned last week, we've been on full virus prevention mode for a long time. And I'm just talking regular flu and colds because those could genuinely be deadly for her. So we've been on this thing for a while. And she'd been in the hospital for, what, half of May-ish, what, most of June, all July, all August, all September. I packed up the whole house, moved every, you know, got everything moved here. The new place right next to the hospital, so everything's great. She just didn't have a grasp having been gone from home. You know, when we moved in here, call it roughly October 1st, when she went home, left home four or five months earlier, she hadn't, again, hadn't been home and no clue and never went back. When she left that final time, she never went back to where we lived for almost 10 years. Um, I did, though, have a good idea of how much stuff we had and how much stuff I packed that was beneath the sink in the kitchen and that was in the master bedroom and in the my bathroom. I should say master bathroom in the master bedroom, blah, blah, blah. So we had all those things that came with us. Then all the things we're not really knowing. Right out of the gate in October, she ordered a buttload of all these things and Clorox wipes and sprays and this year however long ago we had the huge forest fires um in the all throughout northern california and it was just smoke in the air so she bought like a box uh, not a like a box you hold in your hand to pull out but like a freaking box of n95 masks and so actually i hate to say it but i threw most of the box away because it was so huge i get i don't know what I couldn't tell you what she was thinking, but she bought enough masks to survive three lifetimes. And while packing and having so much crap to try and bring with us, I just started saying, look, I took, I think, two or three normal size boxes within the box with us. So we've got 40, maybe, might even be 60 of the N95 masks that you can't kind of get anywhere. And that's just because, again, she ordered this and the stockpile's been in place since then. So this is just something that's a little bit funny for us. And I just felt the need to share because after hearing her say that she wanted to try and get more in the house and we need to get some, but everything's sold out and what are we going to do? I said, honey, give me just a sec. And so I went into our master bathroom beneath the sink went into the kitchen went into here went into there and put all the stuff on the counter and it was taller than i was <laughs> i mean we could not use the amount of things that we have in a year and these were all things purchased before the virus so i'm with you on the 
best to my wife and I from an Italian listener, and I thank you so much. Uh, I think we're going to be okay on that front. As for what the bigger teams do, yeah, that's one I need to get into. So I think the first team that I reached out to was Team Penske, and Tim Sindrick came back and said, sure, probably not till Wednesday, though, to which I said, well, okay, I don't. I appreciate that. I Timing-wise, that might not work because I'm trying to get the stuff going beginning of the week. So I might get a chance to speak with Tim to get to a feel there. Uh, but I know that I spoke with Indridi Autosport Chief Operating Officer Rob Edwards today, who we really didn't get into the team driver type side. What are they going to do? Um, we do know uh, that teams, that there are many teams, if not every team, I would say, Joe Secchi, that, they're going to turn themselves into full Indy 500 preppers. Um, yeah, uh, we have others who are doomsday preppers. I think we're going to have pretty much full IndyCar teams who are going to be 500 preppers, knowing that there are plenty of teams that are telling guys and gals to take a week off or a little bit longer while they figure out the virus response tone. But this is an opportunity for teams to really not have the distractions of having to go racing and get their special, beautiful, body-fitted, aero-perfected, drag-reduced Indy 500 Speedway cars ready. So I would say that for sure. On the simulator time, that's an, another interesting one. Uh, what, Chevy's is, nor- is in North Carolina? You know, for IndyCar drivers that are there, great. For those that are in indiana or live miami or wherever else uh again i think we're looking at travel and distance being a little bit of a thing and gathering being a thing um so that might be a little bit of a challenge but i mean i spoke with tony Kanon on friday was it thursday friday saturday i don't remember and he said he was just taking delivery of his new home simulator now that's a sit down simulator that is one plopped on the floor um, staring at some video monitors, not the multi-axis looking like uh, some sort of space contraption, uh, one that you find that costs a quadrillion dollars that uh, Delara would have or HPD or Chevy. So I think you're going to see drivers doing more just home air quote simulator. Granted, maybe y'all can help me on this one too. I'm struggling a little bit as I struggle. I struggle to say the word struggle. That is me. That is the most me thing ever. I'm struggling to call the put it in my man cave, put it in my office, put it in the garage are, you know, nice. And I realize they're expensive uh, air quote simulators. I'm struggling to call those simulators. Just because having done a zillion hours of gaming in the 90s in particular, Grand Prix 1 and Grand Prix 2 and IndyCar racing and whatever else, uh, I mean, it w- I realize that these are much better and nicer and you've got a custom racing seat and there's a whole chassis that's strapped into it and you've got real pedals and there's, you know, a beautiful wraparound display or some drivers have, um, you know, a, a nice little Oculus or, or other form of VR goggle setup. 
I still look at those and go, yeah, that's a natural evolution of the little thing I used to clamp on top of the desk in the crappy little Logitech pedals that I used to have. Um, again, I'm not saying they're the same. I'm just saying I look at the what's called, being called a simulator and going, nah, dude, that's kind of the same thing. It's way more expensive and way nicer. Is that a simulator? I, I mean... If it's not truly multi-axis moving you, if you're not getting shaken and the nose dives under braking and you're lifted back and your head tilts back a little bit under acceleration, if it's not actually moving you around, I don't know how I call that simulator. It's not simulating the experience. You're sitting looking at a screen and kind of doing what i think a lot of us did who gamed back then and you go this is great i wish i could afford it anyway sorry for the tangent but is that a simulator i know it's being called one but is it Uh, i don't think so but again uh, i'm usually wrong so tell me i'm wrong Uh, but anyways tony canon was telling me that he couldn't wait to get home because his new simulator was arriving and he was going to be able to start playing with it on monday so I think the answer to this, Joe Secchi, is for sure all the drivers are going to be all just gaming at home on their systems. Uh, I think for sure we're going to see a proliferation of e-racing, e-sports uh, activities. And as for real simulators, that might be the one that, you know, honestly, we're going to have to see if that's even possible. But definitely Indy 500 Speedway chassis massaging. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's go to Darren Dubois. Hey, Darren. He says, IndyCar communications seem to continually struggle. Fans like myself already in St. Pete were getting information from other sources like the mayor of St. Pete, reporters on Twitter, etc. He says, IndyCar says virtually nothing. Is this for legal reasons? Interesting. I'll mention, Darren, that I learned while sitting at home in California about the race being canceled from a friend working at a team in the paddock who I was texting with about, I don't remember what, uh, but he texted me, by the way, just heard that the race is canceled. And from an information standpoint, IndyCar tends to communicate with its teams first. So that's normal. So learning about the thing that had yet to be publicly declared, uh, you're going to find out about that from teams first most of the time. As for fan-based communication, I think this might be a little bit of a unique situation. And I can't tell you if what I'm about to say is accurate, because I wasn't you there receiving or not receiving things. I know that as I often hear from the series when I ask, there's often a a chain of, of ownership. There's a chain of custody of things for example i'll say ask the series hey do you know if this team is going to announce their thing the driver or whatever that you know uh, i've heard is in the pipeline and the team's not talking and i'm not trying to pimp indycar for information i they're never going to tell me but i'm at least trying to plan ahead right hey i know tomorrow my wife and i need to go do this at this time and I'm the only one who's available right now to write about it. So if I think something's coming, 
but a team won't tell me, I'll often reach out to IndyCar and say, hey, scheduling-wise, do you know if tomorrow morning I should be looking for something from Team A or B or C? And I might get a nod that says, you'd be smart to keep an eye on your inbox. All right, great, all I'm looking for. But anything more than that? Well, you know, in the times where I've made the mistake of asking a more detailed question, I've absolutely gotten something back saying, thanks, that, that is the team's domain, you'll have to ask them. Uh, or if a team hasn't, here's another one, which has happened recently, something came out that a team was doing. It had an IndyCar angle to it, meaning IndyCar specifically would have to weigh in on one thing. The team offered no information on it whatsoever. It's a big, like, why didn't you just include that? But they didn't. So I reached out to IndyCar and said, hey, uh, this is something you all would have to decide on for this thing. Can you tell me what the decision is or if you, what you, just give me something so I can complete my reporting because I can't until I find out. Got a note back almost right away. Thanks for asking. The team has asked us to direct all inquiries on that subject to them. I'm going, it's an interesting one. You've released information, intentionally left out what anyone would say, yeah, this is an incomplete story. You need to fill in this piece of the puzzle. Have then gone so far as to tell the series, hey, if anyone reaches out on this piece of the puzzle we didn't include, please don't fill it in. Tell them to come back to us. I think I think that's known as a circle jerk. I could be wrong. Um, but the point being, Darren, is very clear lines of who owns what communications, and if it's not IndyCar, then... They will step back and say, nope, it's not us. I think this is one of those cases, if we're talking first points of contact, on the decision to race without fans or cancel the race altogether. You might say, but this is an IndyCar race. Aren't they, isn't it theirs? Aren't they in charge? It might appear that way. From a, a technicality standpoint, this is Green Savory Race Promotions event. Uh, IndyCar is the featured star, but this is GSRP's event. They have contracted with the city of St. Petersburg and whatever county they're in and got signed off by the mayor and this and that. They're the ones who are holding the house party. Uh, the headlining band at the house party happens to be IndyCar. They're the ones that most of us think of as this is an indie car race well technically this is a green savory race promotions event with indycar as its headliner so in this case darren where the mayor said eh, ain't happening we're not racing um i think this might be something where indycar deferred to green savory race promotions I could be wrong. I'm just trying to recall what happened in a day that was a bit of a whirlwind. So I apologize if I have forgotten or misremembered key aspects. But my inkling on this is this is something where IndyCar would step back and say, this is a decision made between the people who own the permit to put on the race 
and the city that permits them. So we're going to let them go first. Is Does that sound about right from what you received? I don't know, but that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, Harrison Riley, Marshall, would IndyCar leadership consider postponing the Indy 500, or is it Memorial Day weekend or bust? And uh, Lucas Mercier, you asked the same question. Uh, would the Indy 500 be run at a different date? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, if had this conversation with a team owner today on this exact subject and the conversation went like this if it doesn't happen in may it's going to have to happen elsewhere it's the race that every sponsor signs up for first and foremost hi rose rosie's decided to come in and start meowing for no reason rocky's asleep but yeah i hear you girl there you go she is absolute hellion around here um that is the thing we all sign up for. Uh, that is the thing that everybody comes to be a part of. Everything else that's associated with the 500 is gravy from a sponsorship standpoint, drivers, you name it, TV. It is the heart of IndyCar. So if we are in a coronavirus lockdown, which I'm just saying, uh, I'll be very surprised if we aren't in May. This is going to happen at some other point in time during the year. There is no way IndyCar survives. Just like I said, if this season doesn't happen, they could hold the Indy 500 only, and I think we'd be okay. Even Rosie agrees, if you just heard her. Um, Yeah, absolutely, Harrison. We know the dumb, obvious thing for me to say. We all want it to happen on Memorial Day. We are dreaming of a May 24th Indy 500. The ability to run it on May 24th does not reside within Roger Penske's office, Mark Miles, Doug Bowles. No one that owns the property, owns the series, or runs any of it has any say whatsoever as to whether it is run. It is strictly a local government and governmental decision that will be made. If they are told, nope, and no, you're not running it without fans, it'd never be run without fans. There's no way they could do that. But even if that was a decision, 33 teams with 10 to 12 to 15 people per entry, plus all the other support folks needed to turn the place on and make it happen, you know, just the, the social gathering aspect, the limited numbers of gathering aspect. There's so many things that would just run afoul of what we're currently living with. Uh, if this is going on in May, they're just going to have to look for a post-virus date. Because, uh, yeah, but just reiterate, reiterate this one more time. 16th in Georgetown, they are not the ones deciding whether the Indy 500 takes place this year. Uh, Jim Kaiser, thank you, my brother. More haiku. What else could this week's haiku be about? Coronavirus has put a stop to racing. Already jonesing, he says. Well, I'm kind of with you. I haven't even been to a race this year, though, so that's how much I suck. Uh, I need to drink some coffee. My voice is getting hoarse. Lance Snyder. Hey, Lance. Marshall, can we officially declare that the Cartoon Anvil has moved from Ryan Hunter Ray to Connor Daly? 
after several years clawing back and earning himself a top ride, the entire season is thrown into chaos due to coronavirus. Well, I like the I like the spirit here, my brother. But I got to see a race run first before we can officially declare the targeting system has been shifted to the Connor Daly mobile. Although it'd be kind of bad for the Air Force car to be struck constantly by airborne projectiles. Uh, we just got to see with our boy Ryan Hunter Ray, right? We got to see him get through a race, if not a few, before we can say the cartoon anvil has forgotten where the uh, number 28 DHL Honda is located. Rosie, I love you too, girl. You're the best. What do you want me to do? She does this all the time. She actually does this all throughout the day, but you only get to hear this in podcast form uh, on limited occasions. Usually Rocky. Got a bunch of questions about the good old uh, sports, eSports. Uh, let's see. Howard Bennett, Sunday morning, I stumbled on a live YouTube stream for the, the Race All-Star eSports Battle Australian F1 Grand Prix Alternative uh, and was suitably impressed. Uh, mentioned that Colton Hurtis, Simon Pagano, Felix Rosenquist, some father and son duo named Montoya. Uh, it was pretty entertaining during these self-isolation times. Um, Ian Keyworth uh, underlines the idea that IndyCar needs to get into the esports arena. Um, yes. <laughs> we even got an answer to that last week from Mark Miles. Uh, and a friend of mine dropped me a direct message saying, was I the only one who wasn't super impressed by that answer? Uh, a practice observer says, with all the racing canceled, um, another outlet that I'm not too keen on uh put together an online race with several real racers and so on um main question here that everyone's asking in some way is how can roger penske and indycar best take advantage of the coming weeks uh to put indycar in the best position when it comes back using esports as a tool <sighs> so you know when you are cooking and you go and you pour the olive oil into the pan and it splashes over and it hits the flame beneath it and you get the fire and you're like, oh, hey, my kitchen's on fire. I should reach down and grab the fire extinguisher. And then you realize, oh, man, that's right. I used it. When I lit the place on fire three months ago and forgot to order a new one, and damn it, what do I do in this very pressing crisis that's been visited upon me? Well, man, uh, is it too strange, too abstract to say that years of inaction, years of you all and so many others saying to IndyCar, Pull your thumb out. Make a decision. Even if it's not great, do a one-year deal with someone. Everyone says iRacing. And I'm just, it could be perfect. But whomever. Make a damn move. Here we are, right? Kitchen's on fire. Need something to uh, extinguish it. Need something to get... Things back to normal. Need to give folks a reason to believe the whole thing isn't going to 
burned down. You open up the cupboard and open up the cabinet, and there's nothing there. I I share your concerns, everyone. As an old gamer, as an old guy who did this a lot when he was single, um, before the term esports was a term, man, I mean, it's just awesome being able to do these things, being able to buy the IndyCar game, the cart precision, whatever it was called, all these different things. Realize that the sport was more popular back then. Gaming wasn't more popular back then. That's for sure. Uh, I, I just, I'm with you. The inaction is hurting. And here's the thing. So we're going to do a deal with someone. Great. How long is that going to take? It's not as simple as calling iRacing and tomorrow there being a deal. (laughs) There's going to have to be a plan, a strategy. There's going to need to be conversations. What is it? How long does it last? Is there a championship? Can anyone sign up for it? Is this something where we can have multiple tiers? Here's the actual driver's league. Your St. Petersburg GP, your barber, your whatever. Here they are. They're going to be racing all together against each other. How do you do that? Where? Again, does every driver have a simulator? Does everyone have an account? Here's another just crazy idea. What are in those driver's contracts? Right? Uh, this isn't something IndyCar can force. Right? None of these drivers work for IndyCar. They all have contracts with the individual teams. What do the teams want to do? Do any of the teams have deals with other, whether it is an esports league, but other entities, other gaming platforms? Again, I don't know. I just am saying this might not be as easy as saying, all right, the 26 of you that were going to race at St. Pete will boom. You're going to meet up uh, in one of the garages, big garages at IMS, and we have 26 consoles, whatever it might be, air quote simulators uh, for you to climb into, and we're just going to put on racing for the fans. All these things can absolutely happen. All those things could happen. They're not going to happen tomorrow. And so for the series that are mobile and have been mobile and agile and have things in place, man, uh, hey, contracts. Hey, we got to drop a contract. Does the first version ever get approved? No. Back and forth and back and forth. And what's it going to cost? And what's this? And what's that? And who has rights to what? replay and this and streaming and where and who all these things can absolutely be done they're not happening tomorrow so that's where we're getting bit that's where the admittedly older management of indycar may be exposing a weakness that some younger uh, or organizations that maybe have more youth and youth in the right places. And youth doesn't have to be 20. Youth could be 40 <laughs> and still be young in some factions of IndyCar from a management standpoint. Um, this is just showing, man, uh, this is a wrong time to have nothing when you need something to respond. So I don't have the answer. Uh, Howard and 
Ian and everyone else had asked. I don't have an answer on when, but I do know that it will go. It will take time. If there was a decision today, Monday, in the IndyCar offices, we're doing it full speed ahead. I can't tell you the exact amount of time it's going to take or the inexact amount of time it's going to take, but there are enough things that would have to get answered and resolved from driver contracts to conflicts of interests to who broadcasts and on what platform, pay, non-pay, blah, blah, blah. (sighs) Take a while. It's not a good time. It's not a good look. I'm going to go to Duncan, Idaho. Hey, Duncan. He says, e-racing has been getting a lot of attention over the last days. He says, however, as a child of the 90s, these sim events lack the punch I require from pixel-based entertainment. I'm with you, brother. 256 colors on my monitor. Amazing. He says, could the IndyCar community put together a different breed of stopgap, i.e. Mario Kart-type tournaments? And he says, best wishes to you and your wife and all those affected by the coming weeks and months. This is where I think we could see some rapid stuff happen. So on a institutional level, IndyCar deciding we're going to go e-sporting and we've solicited vendors and we're going to find a partner and what, again, we know that's going to take a while. Could Andretti Autosport call out Team Penske and say, hey, suckers, <laughs> it's uh Mario Kart 500, Saturday. Be there or be dumpster fires filled with I am indie hats. Uh, they could. I, wouldn't you love to see that? Yeah, again, the driver to driver thing, that might, you know, again, they, do we have any real rivalries in IndyCar? Not really. Uh, but could it be fun if it was at the team level? Shank calls out Carlin, Shank calls out Schmidt. Former partners, screw you, buddy. Let's go. Could again? Who knows? Uh, but I gotta believe that there's something. This could be fun. This could be a blast. I would tune in for this. The whatever it was called last weekend with F1 drivers and IndyCar drivers virtual thing had no interest for me. Granted, I was busy doing other things. So I had no interest in tuning in. There's nothing there. There's entertainment, and I know I'm sure plenty of you did, so I'm not knocking. I'm just saying for hashtag me personally, eh, whatever. Real thing, team calling out a team? Now that would be baller. If it was a driver versus driver thing and a real thing, not like some cheesy, hey, you know, Ed Carpenter's calling out Charlie Kimball, whatever. No, I want to see Ed Carpenter racing calling out Dale Coin Racing. Bring it, fools, with some real stuff on the line, right? Do something charitable, right? We're trying to be good citizens, give something to someone to make someone else's life better, or is it food, is it something else? Contribute something during this time to help folks, but I want to see penalties, right? You know, all the the tractor trailers, right? Whoever loses has to wash the other one's tractor trailers. And we're not talking about driving it down to the truck stop. We're talking crew and drivers with big old 20-foot-tall squeegees on a stick cleaning the damn thing. And I want to see videos of it. And I want to see them wearing 
really embarrassing stuff. Maybe Barat, Dayglow, Green. I don't know. That's not a Speedo. I don't know. But something. They'll just make losing intolerable. Now, that's the stuff I want to see. Uh, if it isn't happening already, please take it as your own idea. If you didn't already have it, you throw it on social media. Hey, Andretti, when are you going to call out Ganassi? Uh, so the again, Mario Kart, this Grand Theft Auto. I don't know something. Uh, I think this could be fun, Duncan. I really do. So uh, I would urge all of you to provoke shame, shame, shame. Whatever you got to do, get something going here. Well, that this now that would be a blast. Let's go to Racer Spacer. Asking about if I know of any books or resources to discuss race strategy. No, I don't. Uh, Mike Hull has mentioned to me more than once that he needs to write an autobiography and I need to help him write it. So, I don't know. It's not as if I have a lack of things to do during this pause. We're actually busier than ever. Did I mention that? So, there's no racing. So, there's no natural storylines. There's no natural things. Hey, so-and-so won St. Pete. Here's the, the analysis of how they did it in this amazing thing. Uh, why? Hey, this team that was supposed to kick ass to start the year fell flat on their butt. What happened there? And this guy says this, and that person said, gone. Nothing. No racing to feed our natural story production. So all of a sudden, we got to wake up and... I will admit I woke up this morning. Well, I was thinking about it all weekend, but woke up this morning saying, well, that's interesting. (laughs) Let me, how many emails did I have this morning? Let me go take a look here because after a race, it is just like absolute normalcy to be, you know, to wake up and have, 30 to 50 emails, right? All from teams and, hey, so-and-so said the other guy cut him off and that's why he sucked in the race. When I woke up this morning and checked my email at about 8 a.m., I had four emails. Two of them were from racer colleagues on an internal topic we've been discussing. Actual receiving emails from racing-type people or entities inbound instead of just intercompany two <laughs> at two fifty two a.m alex damron senior communications indianapolis motor speedway sent an updated month of may statement reaffirming their intent to go race uh 4 a.m got one from the fiawec so not even indycar saying hey the spa franco six hours our runner running up race to le mans it's postponed that's it on a weekend where we should have had, again, it, my inbox should have just exploded along with every other reporter's. We're two. So, yeah, it's a, a pressing thing to try and come up with stuff. And so, yeah, back to your point. Um, yeah, so I think Mike and I, are, although I don't think I'm going to have a lot of free time because we're having to, like, freewheel this stuff and figure up with stuff to figure out stuff figure up is another way of saying that figure out stuff to feed you all to read and consume and hopefully keep you coming back i don't think i'm gonna have a lot of free time uh but 
maybe getting together with Mike on this topic. Who knows? Maybe uh, that's something we should do. Going to go to Aeroscreen Noise. Billy Potter says, Marshall, many drivers mentioned how quiet the cockpits were with the aeroscreens. With that in mind, could there be more communications between the team and driver? Which drivers could stand more communications from the stand and which are likely to tell the stand to shut the bleep up? Uh, hard to say on the latter part. Uh, there are some drivers who just, you know, don't really need to hear a lot. Scott Dixon's one of them. He's done this enough where he doesn't need people just constantly in his ear. I, I don't know if I would say, though, Billy, that because it is much quieter that there could be more communication. I'd say there's always been the amount of communication needed between drivers and pit lane or their spotters. So the only real difference I can think of is they're going to hear those instructions or the lines of communications are just going to be clearer without the greater ambient noise. Uh, Let's go to Don Gregory, says MP. Do you think IndyCar leadership could consider an all-access and unfiltered reality show similar to the Formula One Drive to Survive series on Netflix, I think it would make for must-see TV for IndyCar fans. Yeah, a thousand percent, Don. And uh, I don't want to go too hard on this topic because it's it's not, you know, a hundred percent there, but we certainly do have a situation where the longer that IndyCar does not have its response to drive to survive, kind of identical, although it's a new thing, newish thing over the past year, but although it's not too dissimilar, really, my man, from the esports topic, the minute to the minute drive to survive came out, it was just a, oh, man, you have raised the bar. You set that we didn't know there was a bar, first of all, and it's been raised to a point that's going to be almost impossible to match. The good folks at IMS Productions, though, have some great directorial sensibilities, so I bet they could do something that's almost as compelling. But, man, it takes a while, right? So, obviously... They were filming the whole time throughout the 2018 season to then bring it to us in 2019, and then they did it again all last year to bring it to us now. Oh, yeah. So I'm with you. Uh, Formula One, especially here in the U.S., just continues to grow and grow and grow, and they're feeding amazing content through this Drive to Survive to Netflix's domestic original home but created audience on top of the rest of the world too we know but yeah yeah i'm telling you amazon prime is a you know hulu i don't know whatever other streaming service is it Uh, i guess if i was smart i'd say probably something affiliated with nbc um i don't know of anything being filmed if there was i didn't see it and I'm ignorant as usual, but damn it, Don, you've just really, you've hit on something that every time I've, every episode from the very first one of Drive to Survive that I saw, the immediate response was, damn it. We didn't think of it. We haven't done it. And if we do it, it's going to take a while to poop it out. 
And when we do, everyone's probably going to say rightfully, oh, look, you guys are just trying to copy Formula One. A little slow in the uptake, IndyCar. So, I don't know, man. I, I sure hope that they do. I don't know if NBC has any kind of streaming platform that is popular enough to make it matter. That's where I. That's why I mentioned an Amazon, or again, I don't know what other ones have enough of a widespread fan base. But boy, uh, yet again, maybe we could have an IndyCar Drive to Survive type reality show on not getting an esports solution in place. Maybe that's it. We're just in the offices all day, every day. You got an esports thing? No. You got a thing? No. Um, Gunther Steiner could run in and just drop 100 F-bombs like he normally does and prove that he's the worst team manager in professional motor racing. That'd be entertaining. But, yeah, I, I don't know, Don. Uh, they sure should. Tim Falkowitz, the man who puts together our questions each week to help me says i can't help but notice how much drive to survive in the show uh on scott dixon i think you might mean the documentary um born racer it says can't help but notice how much those folks done how hard everyone took not winning a race he says is this reality or hyped up for tv is this a product of the pressure applied to everyone on the team or purely an individual desire to win? 100% real, Tim, as I use the phrase 100% for probably about the 60% of the time. I use it 100% of the time. Uh, too many times this episode, but um, 1% more than 99%, Tim. That's how I'll start saying it. It's real, completely real. So what you have is a range of expectation and desire. So if we're talking Scott Dixon and Chip Ganassi Racing, Chip is known to be an almighty a-hole when it comes to success. If you are not truly succeeding, not fourth, not third, maybe not even second, if, if you're not on the podium, man, you are in the doghouse. I mean, really, even be in there in the podium. If you're not standing in the middle, you might get a clap of a hand or a handshake or a smile, but that's not what's really happening on the inside. We know that there is immense pressure applied by Chip throughout the team if they are not on the winning track. And it is felt by all. It hardens people and it drives people out so that the people who are there can, we know that they can withstand it and the ones who aren't cannot. That's real. Uh, the drive to survive, desperation, expectation, right? The season two, I think, episode, was it two or three on Haas? Just mentioned mention Gunther Steiner. I've just always known him to be the biggest, worst team principal, team manager in F1. I mean, for since I heard of the guy. Not saying it's true, it's just my, my take. 
this Haas episode, I don't understand how Gene Haas, after watching it, did not fire him. But then I also realized that watching Gene Haas, he has no idea what's going on. He's oblivious. Year after year, they keep the same driver, same everything. It is Team Haas is Formula One's team insanity. What? We're mad that our results suck? Well, we've got a solution. Change nothing. Bring back everyone who seemingly can't get the job done and just expect that they're going to all of a sudden get the job done. Oh, well, that didn't happen. Well, guess what we're doing next year? Uh, You got it. We're bringing back the same people. Guess what we're getting? Less than before. What? It's the new season. Guess what we're doing? Top secret. Same people. And then the entire grid continues to march forward as they stay stuck in place in 2016 or 2017, whatever. Uh, So that's desperation, man. And when they're not winning, they're not securing points and wheels are falling off cars and drivers are complaining and the rear tires are going off way too quickly and the car is just plummeting down the running order you know this is a team that is just working from desperation and so the way that the production team behind drive to survive the the sensibilities that they have the storytelling abilities that they have i mean the thing that what makes that series pure gold is the producers and advisors because they have enough knowledge of the sport to be able to understand the pressure points within each of the teams that they are covering. Hey, Daniel Ricardo, you left Red Bull. No one really knows why. No one can make sense of why you would do that. Because going to Renault was always going to be a massive step down. So let's try and dive into that and let's show what we know is going to be a tough year for you. And so we're going to dig in and show that and bring to you the real struggles that take place and how that wears on Ricardo and how that makes him question his decision. I've already mentioned the Haas part. That team was just ripe for being followed up close because, boy, and it's not a not a surprise that kind of sort of right out of the gate in season two here, they have jumped right into some of these major pressure points. Why? From a storytelling standpoint, man, you are building some immense drama right out of the gate that is so compelling that you just want to watch the next in the next so this is real what they're covering is real depending upon the team from the good to the great there's so many different things that teams are looking for the pressure to win and not win you know Haas doesn't get mad when they don't win they don't expect to win it's part of their problem They, they have a losing culture there Gunther Steiner is the architect is just a a mad, rampaging bull who lives off of emotions, curses up and down, just makes people crawl. Their skin just is fighting to leave. (laughs) 
This guy is berating people in the middle of a race about problems that the person he's berating cannot change as the race is going on, is offering no suggestions of how to make things better. The senior most guy, the guy who runs the whole operation, is a tyrant with nothing to offer on how to make it better. Man, that makes for great television. And I wish we had a a Gunther Steiner Jr. over here in IndyCar to follow Tim. Ah, it'd be great. We don't have it. We just don't have it. But what you see is phenomenal. And what you see playing out is the disappointment for every team, barring the one or two that are excelling. And you have those who expect to win but aren't and are frustrated. And then you have the others who are just hoping to get some points and are mad and frustrated when they don't. But this is a real look into the realist of racing. If you think in podium terms, there's 20 cars in F1. Three of them are going to be on the podium. The other 17 are going to be pissed. Boy, that makes for great TV. Same with IndyCar. It's real, man. It's absolutely real. But the areas of disappointment vary based on the team and where they fit on the grid. Paul Trahan. You say, MP, after watching the documentary Uppity on Willie T. Ribs, all I have to say is, damn, bro, you cleaned up for that. He says, did you have to do hair and makeup? If so, how long did it take? Ah, thanks, Paul. No, but I did get a haircut. Uh, And, you know, I mean, my my normal dress clothes were dry cleaned, and I brought them with me and went down to, uh, what do they call, chassis media. No, it wasn't chassis. It was uh, Adam Carolla's shop. Um, where he has all of his cars and does the podcast and the editing bay and all that. Uh, honestly, man, I just changed when I got there. I went into the bathroom. I think I washed my face or wiped my face down so there wasn't any excess oil. If I was a pro, though, uh, I would have brought some foundation with me and applied it myself like my friend Townsend Bell does before he goes on screen. Uh, on camera uh, for NBC sports broadcasts. Uh, But no, it's cute, though. I guess me not looking like a total track monkey uh, equates to cleaning up. little quick thing, though, that might be of interest to some. So that was the second time that I did that for that movie. Uh, The entire film crew came up and rented a hotel in Oakland right by Alameda on the water, uh, what, five miles away from where the uh, Warriors play and the Raiders used to play and the A's still play, and tried to set things up in the hotel to make it a good little backdrop. They asked me to bring some things, so I brought like some framed stuff and some racing-type props to put in the background and... Filmed the whole thing, spent an afternoon, I don't know, two hours or something, done. I don't know, that might have been a week or two before Long Beach in 20, what, 17, I think? Yeah. 
then I think around October-ish, late October, get a call from my pal uh, Nate Adams, the movie's producer and director, who said, hey, everything we shot looks like crap. Uh, You mind coming down and doing that again? And I'm like, come on, man. Uh, and I don't, well, I guess it does sound a little prima Donna-ish. It's more a case of time. Like, look, I do actually have a life. I got things to do. Um, I've already done this. I've already given you half a day. And then you don't get paid for this stuff, by the way. Um, now you want me to get on a plane and go down here and do it all over again? <laughs> so ended up going down, flying down and doing that again. And, uh, yeah. So ended up coming out much better. I'm glad they made the call. And what I did, and there's a little bit of just a uh, personal item here that um, ended up meaning something is knowing that they wanted me to come down and do this over again. I said, look, if I'm going to fly to L.A., it's only about an hour flight, but uh, it's still it's, it's a lot of movement just to do this thing that to me is feeling a little bit like you're wasting my time. Let me at least if I'm going to go down to L.A., then I want to make the most out of this so i think timing wise i flew down in the morning had some podcast equipment with me went over to santa monica met up with my pal your pal the amazing stefan johansson recorded a podcast there which i think we've posted i know we got a couple others we still haven't um recorded that at his loft art studio you name it then finished that up drove down the street like five minutes hung a left at the beach and saw our brother and our friend oriel servia and had lunch with oriel and he showed me his new restaurant uh poking which he was opening up and nonetheless had lunch with oriel that was great and did that for a while and then drove over to Burbank, I think, is where Corolla's joint is, and got there, I think, late afternoon, very early evening was the rough timing, they said, and we filmed for a couple hours there, and then, oh, we won't, I don't know, film for an hour, maybe hour and a half at most, and then uh, they said, well, hey, let's go take a look at a rough cut using your crappy interviews from oakland and so then sat with the editor anthony vamakitis i believe and saw the whole thing uh, at least in rough edit form and was really blown away and offered a little bit of input on some things they might tweak and i don't know if they did any of that but there you go then i drove over uh waited till it was late enough to where there wouldn't be traffic and paul uh got a hotel right nearby All-American Racers. And so the following day, I had a flight home at about 3 and said, well, you know what? I'm going to be in the greater L.A. area. Orange County isn't L.A., but I'll drive, you know, going to drive over there. Got a hotel in Santa Ana, right by All-American Racers. And then stopped by, went by AAR, and I don't know, got there. This would have been early November mid-November, early November of 2017, and said, let's make the uh, final leg of this trip something really cool and go have lunch with my dear friend, the Big Eagle, Dan Gurney. So arrange that in advance as well. 
And so popped by at, I don't know, 1130, something like that, 1145. And we sat and had lunch. And one of Dan's friends was there. And uh, dear friend Kathy Wida as well, a longtime manager and runner of things, uh, was there too. And just had a beautiful, beautiful lunch with Dan. Wasn't necessarily in the best way. Uh, was pretty clear that, you know, he was, he was struggling. And so we just had some great conversations about that. You know, Dan would have been what, 85, 86. And, you know, and we talk about racing all the time and that, that kind of stuff, but it was just really sweet. Um, you know, just trying to talk to him. What is it like getting old, Dan? What is it like? What is it like as someone who the vast majority of your life, you're known for your vitality and your physical skills and reaction times and control of oneself. And he was talking about balance and losing his balance and how hard that was to deal with. Just not as the great Dan Gurney, but just as a man, just as, you know, a man who was able to take great pride in his physical self. What, what is it like having time and age take some of those things away from you? And so it was just a, a cherished conversation. And when we learned, what was that, six, seven, eight weeks later that he had passed, uh, I was quite thankful for the unexpected request by Nate to come down and reshoot my portions of uppity because it gave me an opportunity to also stop and fellowship with uh, our pals Stefan Johansson and Oriel Servia and it also turned out to be the final time that I got to spend time with the Big Eagle so there you go. You're bringing up thoughts and emotions, Paul. Asking about my monkey ass cleaning up. Uh, Ross Porter, Marshall, you mentioned PDM racing on a previous podcast, and it brought back some good memories of working with Paul Dyatlovich for about a year once he was out of racing. Any good PDM stories from the IRL days? He says, by the way, your podcast has been even more of a welcome escape than usual given the current circumstances of the world, and for that, thank you. Well, thank you, Ross. Uh, I'm hoping I'm going to remember to mention something at the very end here that I wanted to save at the end and intentionally bury it at the end. I don't have many that jump out. Um, keep, I guess, keep in mind, be, probably because I wasn't a reporter and guy thinking in terms of capturing stories and memories of teams like I am now. So it was just more of them as rivals. We were at... I don't know, was it the 98 Indy 500 maybe? Where our garage space, I think it was right next to theirs. I seem to recall they had two garage spaces. I just think I think they had just one car, but they had two garage stalls. And we were next to that. So we didn't hear their big old Klipsch speakers because Klipsch was their, I think, primary sponsor. But they did have some big old Klipsch speakers in their garage. And I do recall a couple of times, which is just, I thought, freaking rocking out in Rebel, that kind of end of the day, you know, whatever, off track at six, and everyone's working until eight or whatever. Um, you know, they're just kind of the PDM Rebels, man. They did their damn thing. And I remember more than once, not saying many times, but at least 
once or twice where they just said F it and whatever rock and roll band that they were wanting to hear, they fricking made sure that they heard it and everyone else <laughs> for about a thousand yards. And I just thought that was awesome because the hell I used to do that back in the day, not at Indy, but just, you know, we had, uh, there was one t- race trailer that we had back in the day with Fife Ridge racing. So we would go to whatever races up and down the West coast and such. It was an ex IMSA, camel lights trailer for somebody and uh i think there might have been some you know kind of nefarious ways that they paid for things and people who kind of have murky money playing in racing often like kind of the rock and roll rebel lifestyle so they had big old speakers attached to all the doors that swung open so they're on the side of the trailer in the middle not just the walking up into the trailer ones but you know there are multiple things that opened outwards and they all had giant speakers on them and i'm telling you i'd do the same thing even at the track when i was working in the trailer all day loading it or offloading or whatever um man i would crank that sucker up and this is in the like 89 1990-ish type stuff so it's nwa it's public enemy uh, overstate the obvious here i was one of only a just a couple of people working of the hundred plus at shops at Sears point at the time that would have listened to rap pretty much everyone else was not accepting of this degenerate music, uh, that was of a very strange culture they didn't want or like. And so would get folks from the other shops within earshot of the trailer, just coming over. Yeah. Turn that goddamn crap off. And I'm just like, turn it up even more. Then they'd go to my boss, complain to him. Then he'd come over and complain to me. You're embarrassing us. And it's, is that your trip? Did I tell you you could turn on the stereo? And I just like, no, but I did. And then he'd yell at me and whatever. And ultimately I think I'd end up turning it down a little bit, but still being a jerk. So, um, I kind of loved when PDM did the same thing. So good on them. That's the one that stands out. Uh, let's see. Kevin DeVries, you mentioned a lot of things about fire extinguishers, which I appreciate. Um, you also mentioned here, you've managed to knock about 30 episodes off your podcast list uh, on top of yours and everyone else's and our standard weekly offerings. So maybe that's a good thing if there are positives to mention uh, about this virus thing disrupting our world. Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know, but I got to start cranking out more. So I'm not sure I might make things more complicated for you. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, you mentioned something here, uh, on the topic of rescheduling Coda says you're a fan of sharing the weekend with F1. You discussed it on the podcast before that it would look like it would IndyCar would be second fiddle to F1. Um, it says I have a different opinion on this, specific set of circumstances and here's my sales pitch to indycar brass you'd find a number of fans viewing the circumstances as a necessity not a concession of inferiority you'd also be putting indycar in front of the second largest crowd of the season uh and you mentioned a couple of other things too i I totally i I get where you're coming from only problem here ryan 
is IndyCar and Coda have no decision-making powers to make IndyCar race during an F1 weekend where there is, I can guarantee you, a ironclad, tight-knit, nobody-touching-it contract between Formula One and Coda. So, yeah. Uh, those are the, that's the last of the questions that were selected, highlighted by Tim. I'm going to grab a couple of others. I know we're at about the two-hour mark, which is where I like to cut things off. But I do want to flag a couple others because I enjoyed them. Um, let's see. Ryan also mentions, uh, instead of crossing our fingers, how about everyone wash your hands and cover your mouth so we can hope back to get hope to get back to racing in May. Uh, I completely agree there. Um, Elite Flight McLaren, I think is your name on Reddit. I'm sorry. Any new info on new hybrid engine regulations? Uh, no, I don't believe there's going to be any change to those regulations that I've heard of, even though I suggested it and said I have been hearing that there's going to be a call for some changes. Uh, more and more, what I understand is that's not actually now going to go forward. Um, I do have a story here to update, uh, which was going to go up last week leading into St. Pete. Uh, with an engine update on IndyCar's engine director of engine development or something. I forget his exact title. Darren Sansom, and also spoke with Jay Fry on hybrid stuff and whatever. And No no great revelations, I'll just tell you, but at least a little bit of an update process-wise. So I'll try and get that done here since I got time, apparently. Uh, Aaron Richmond, uh, things have gone quiet on the third OEM front. Is the third manufacturer by 2022 still possible? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I wrote about that, I believe, in an engine update, uh, process update, third OEM update with Bud Denker. You might consult racer.com and find that. Uh, that would have gone up, I think, what, week and a half ago, something like that? I don't know. Kenny C., you got a question. I'm waiting to get a call back from last week's guest, Mark Miles, on left them two voicemails. Hey, Mark, call me back. With the canceled races, how does that impact the leader circle, driver contracts, and so on and so forth? Um, yeah, still waiting to find out on the leader circle. Uh, I got an answer from another IndyCar senior person, uh, but I want to get it on the record from someone else. So still trying to find out in the leader circle. That will be a dedicated story once I get that. And the driver's contracts, that's a little bit of the tough spot because drivers tend not to talk about that, nor do teams, Kenny. Um, Mike, Matt, 5150, you, there's a long link to a Reddit thing. Uh, any insight on this post? I didn't read the post. Uh, it's The title of it appears to be, I think Motorsport just died with everyone asking. Uh, and you say, sounds like feeder series across the globe are going to be decimated for the long term. I don't know. Um, I can just tell you that as someone who doesn't post opinion stuff on forums but talks to the teams, of course it's a concern, but at least for what we do here in the U.S., um, decimation would be absolutely inaccurate. Are there some small teams at risk? Of course, just like IndyCar, small IndyCar teams, small IMSA teams, every business that is smallish and not sitting on a cash depository or lacking the ability to get a line of credit 
Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't say that feeder series across the globe are going to be decimated. That is wrong. Uh, Craig Wo- uh, Woolard. I'm sorry, I was about to say Wollard. I don't know why. I do know why, actually. It's 11.14 uh, p.m., and I should go to sleep. Uh, Marshall, what would have happened in the 2020 St. Pete race if it ran in your head? Well, it already has, by the way. Really pleased to report here. Hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Colton Herta, back-to-back wins, closed the year at Laguna with a win, opened the season with a win. So that's what happened, by the way. Uh, if you get a chance, send Colton a congratulations on social media. Congrats on the win, and just confuse the living crap out of them. Uh, uh, for Monroe74, you ask, if the Indy 500 won't happen on Memorial Day weekend, what are the best alternatives? I have no clue, brother or sister. I don't know your gender. Um, I haven't even bothered to look at this. I know some of you have because you're clearly better at this than I am. But since we don't know in the way my head works, since we don't know when we're going to be getting back to racing, uh, looking at calendar dates is a bit of a moot point. Another question here. Um, Looking to get answered, Ryan Bauer, you say, if the races cannot be rescheduled, how will that affect mileage limits on engines? Will, will there be one less engine? Can teams run these harder and not have to worry about damage and such? Another great question that also extends to lease price, right? Folks pay X amount, a little over a million dollars a year for engine leases for 17 races, four, four motors, 10,000 miles. What if it ends up being, pick the number, who knows? What if we end up doing 12 races and it's three and 7,500? Do the teams get $250,000 back? I don't know, Uh, but something I hope to find out. Uh, Firestone tire lease, very similar. And there's a text from my wife at 1116 saying, hey, idiot, come get me. She's done in the shower. Uh, Gabe Argenta, just want to say we're thinking of you and Mrs. Pruitt right now. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you, my friend. The timing is perfect. Uh, let's see. Just going to take one or two more and we're done. Uh, where do we go? Jeff Ashcraft. Need a bit of help from the Marshall Pruitt Nation. In the late 1980s, there was a radio station in India that played a drop of Sir Jackie Stewart saying that it is a beautiful day for a motor car race. He says, I've searched the old ABC YouTube videos, but I've never found it. Sure would make a good phone ringer if anyone would know where to find it. Well, if... You all, Marshall Pruitt Nation, that's kind of funny, uh, happen to know where Jeff might find this, please let me know, uh, and I'll let Jeff know. Uh, Let's see, Joshua Ponce. Marshall, I'm not sure if this has been asked before. Why isn't the IndyCar Indy GP ran on the old Formula One layout? Well, super, super easy to answer, Joshua, because it no longer exists, because... They changed it. Uh, actually, I think some of it might exist. I don't know. I'm a, I'm falling asleep here. Um, but they remodificated the track a bit. So, yeah, uh, I don't believe the exact same layout exists to be run. So I think that's that. Um, Simon Rafi says you've heard and read many times that the Panos DPO1 was such a great car. Why didn't IndyCar use that after the merger instead of the Dallara IR05? Really simple one. 
IndyCar bought Champ Car. IndyCar had all of its teams. All of IndyCar's teams had Dallara IR07s, 8s, 3s, whatever the hell the number was. Um, so that's why. Uh, the Panoses, those weren't IndyCars. Those were Champ Cars. Uh, the teams that came over were welcome, and IndyCar worked to help some of those teams uh, acquire Dallara's. But I look... Do we know, does history say we should have gone to the DPO1s because they were so amazing? Yeah, no doubt, no question. But just keep in mind that if we're talking wars, which some folks like to do here, IndyCar won the war. Champ Car lost the war. Uh, the tanks that IndyCar was using remained the tanks for everyone to use instead of adopting the losing side's tanks even though those tanks are a heck of a lot better. Um, I need to go help my wife, but I told you I was going to close with something here at the end, and I saved it for the end. I didn't want to put it towards the front because I figure if you are still listening, then you are part of what Jeff calls the Marshall Pruitt Nation. You're part of the you know real family here. Um, twice in the last two or three weeks, I've had folks complain either directly to me or as I found over the weekend, leave me a lovely one-star rating on Apple Podcasts saying, uh, that guy knows nothing about editing. Uh, I listened to it. I think it might have been the Mark Miles episode last week. Um, had to listen to eight minutes of aimless rambling, bef- telling us about what was about to come before he actually got to the show, um, and then expressing vast disappointment for what I offer here being garbage or whatever. Um, that that bothers me. And not bothers me because that person has that opinion, but bothers me that someone would come and listen and say and think or feel, wow, this is trash. What is this guy just rambles aimlessly and does nothing and takes forever to get to the start of the show? And what the hell is that? Um, it bugs me a lot. And so none of this is aimed at that person. Like, truly, like, hey, I have things that I hate, many things that I just bother me to no end, and I wish people did differently. So, again, it's not about who said it. It's about the fact that I I hate that that was the takeaway that this person had. And so I was bound and determined. I had someone else reach out and say, actually said, Dude, could you just like get to the show? Just just go. I mentioned this before a week or two ago, and enough of you were kind. No, man, like you know, just you be you and do your thing. Uh, again, I appreciate that. But the person who said this the first time around actually said, I ended up finding out. I don't think it was so much they couldn't stand that I actually spent time talking to you all up front uh, and, and trying to interact instead of just like straight to the show and i'm just kind of a empty vessel reading things to you uh found out that the person uses an old piece of technology to listen to the show and it doesn't have the ability to fast forward to the part that he want you know he just wants to get to the start of the q a and so the old technology was the thing that's the hand that's the thing so if he had a newer piece of technology he could easily just fast forward 
and listen for the cue that I put in here intentionally, which is bringing in the audio bed when we get to the Q&A. So that's kind of the prompt of if you are wanting to just skip past me talking about what's happened in the series during the week, whatever, a little bit of the, the sidebar stuff to open. Just fast forward till you hear the music cue. I usually leave it there for 10 or 15 seconds, make it easy to understand. Aha, here's the start of Q&A. Anyways, so I get, read the one star and I'm like, I got to stop. I got, I just, uh, enough. Hey, welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. You're a listener Q&A show. Congratulations to so-and-so. You've won a t-shirt for the week. Send me your direct message with your email address. We're going to get you all sorted out. And here we go with your questions. I can do that in about 30 seconds. I really can. Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA. Boom, off we go. I was going to open the show and do that and just kind of make that the way that I start doing it. Cause I've, I know it's only twice, but it's twice in a short amount of time. And I'm like, okay, clearly what I'm not seeing is comments saying, Hey, I really love the conversational style. What I'm seeing is criticisms that that needs to go away and was truly plan was done. Wasn't going to say anything about it. was just going to go straight into it. Hope none of you noticed And hopefully more people will like my show because I just get straight to it. No me talking to you. No sense of anything else. Then I got a direct message from a listener. Obviously not going to mention their name. And I would just say that this was a blessing of a communication. And uh, the listener said, and I'll just paraphrase, I've been going through a brutally rough year, immense losses, loss of loved ones. Been very hard to get through the year. I have at times not been sure if I want to get through the year. And mentioned that among the many things they are doing to distract themselves, uplift themselves, try and make things a little bit better. Listening to this podcast in the way it's been presented has been a real help. And towards the end, the listener said, wrote, I don't even know why I'm sending this to you. And yet everything the listener wrote before that spoke to why they sent this direct message a bit randomly. And it was because of how we do things here. Because the questions you send in, whether it's Simon to close asking about DPO one versus the Delaras and such, it's from the interactions back and forth we've had. It's, it's the fun stuff it is excuse me it is paul trahan saying damn bro you cleaned up for that Uh, it's the hey heard you speaking about this thing on a previous one i got another question what do you think about that couldn't help notice this what do you think about that that's those things aren't sent in to someone you don't know the style of questions you send reaffirm each week that we have a relationship 
not saying it's always a good relationship. I'm sure you guys hate me plenty of times and I do a horrible job and deserve hate or whatever it might be. But the amount of personal items thrown in, wishing the best for you and your wife, praying for you, whatever. Jim Kaiser sending in haiku like a madman each week. It just speaks to the fact that I am convinced that while my style of podcasting, where I include 5, 10, 15, 18 minutes up front of just free-form discussion, sharing views, opinions, giving you some little tidbits and things that might make you laugh, who knows what this one person who left that one star for me referred to as aimless rambling I am convinced that this is not the most successful way to present my podcasts. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that I would have more traffic, more five-star ratings, if I said, welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, and your weekend IndyCar listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Congratulations to Jordan Darwin, who won our T-shirt this week from TorontoMotorsports.com. Jordan, send me your email address. We'll get you connected. And thanks again for being a great listener. Now, let's get on with the show. Boom. Music again. Off we go. I guarantee you I would see a spike in traffic. I would see a spike in five-star reviews. I'd also say that I sure as heck would never receive a direct message like I did over the weekend from someone who... I'll be frank, is not the first person to say, I really, your podcast, among other podcasts, among other interests in my life, but your podcast has been a thing for me that has helped in some way meaningful, helped me get through, helped me just pass time, help me stay awake while driving. Uh, help me drown out the frickin' jackhammer outside. Whatever. I'm on my riding lawnmower, and I got an acre to do. And, yeah, hey, uh, it was either stab myself in the ears or put on your podcast, so I chose the lesser of two evils. Um, just saying, I appreciate you all. I genuinely love this little air quote. This just tickles me. Marshall Pruitt Nation. That has happened because your questions as they come in are almost never dry, almost never lacking in character or connection. And I, it does bother me that some folks may be listening for the very first time go, dude, what is your, pro- what are you talking about? Didn't you say so-and-so is your guest? Well, where's your guest? Just get to it. What, who gives a F about your wife or your cat or your whatever? Great, Jay Fry texted you. Who cares? He probably texted the freaking Domino's Pizza guy. Hey, make sure it's got extra cheese or whatever. Dude, shut up and go. I get that. And I'm just having to accept that, you know what? The thing I was going to do, which is go to that 30-second intro and boom, Man, I'm just going to willfully decide to leave traffic and leave five-star ratings off the table because based on what you all 
bring and give to me with the interactions that we have, both through your questions and a lot of you. We have direct messages going back and forth all the time or emails. If you sent emails, I haven't got back to it. I apologize. I've got a whole ton I got to get to. Um, it's when I hear stuff like this from a listener saying, without trying to put too fine of a spotlight on it, um, you don't know this, but you have helped me at times when I wasn't sure if I still wanted to be on this planet. <sighs> Guess what, man? I'm always going to choose this style over making the one-star guy happy. So my aimless rambling, I'll maybe try and do, air quote, less aimless rambling to start, but uh, I'm not going to do the thing that just makes more people happy but doesn't feel natural to me. Um, And just as a quick close, uh, I did reach out, respond to our listener who sent me those things, and I haven't heard back from him. I'm hoping to, but... uh, as someone who grew up with a mother who dealt with uh, similar struggles and having struggled with the exact thing myself, having lost a lot of family members and been at a point in my life in the mid nineties where I genuinely wasn't sure if I wanted to continue living. I've been there. Uh, I have lived that. That has been my reality as well. So I hope to hear back from that listener to, um, be a little bit more of a direct voice or resource to help. And I know that all of you can or do or will do the same things if you find yourselves in similar situations. So that's just what I wanted to close with. I appreciate you. Your questions each week are incredibly fulfilling and fun. I don't know what the next couple weeks or months are going to be like if we don't have a lot of questions to throw in. Maybe they're just silly. Maybe they're retro questions. I don't know. If there are things you think I should do, shows I should do, guests I should have, throw it in. We're truly in just make it up as we go mode. So do as you usually do. Let me know. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. We're sponsored by all those awesome companies I've mentioned many, many times. Our cats are sleeping. Uh, They're not head to head. Uh, Rosie's face is kind of in Rocky's butt and vice versa. Uh, You guys are killing me over here. I got to get to my wife who's really pissed. I'm imagining that I'm not in there helping her get out of the shower. So until next week, thank you for listening.